As they go to the station, I wanted to just notice how critical it is that when we ask somebody to do something, that we actually give them what they need to do it. Sending the children over there and saying, well, go ahead and make a backpack tag, and then having nothing over there would not be very nice, right? But indeed, our children's ministry is so awesome here that all the supplies are over there to make this backpack tag. Think of an illustration a little larger than that. If you were asked to paint your room, your bedroom, what would you need to do that job? You need to have paint. You need to have paint brushes. Maybe you need tarps. Maybe you need paint thinner. I don't paint that often. But there's all kinds of things <laughs> you could paint, or use rather, or supplies you need in order to do the job that somebody asked you to do. Let's say there was the expectation that you should graduate from college. What would you need to do that? Lots of money for tuition, a place to live, all kinds of supplies, Gerardo knows, computer, books, good teachers, on and on. The good news is that God is faithful. And God gives us everything we need to grow up in Christ. We have articulated here what it looks like to grow up in Christ. And the words that we have put to that, the description is that our spiritual goal is knowing Jesus so intimately that we become like him. And God has given us... Whoops, can you hear me? All right, God has given us good gifts to help us grow up in Christ, to meet that spiritual goal. So I want you to think with me, I'm gonna name the ones that I'm aware of that are the good gifts that God provides. First of all, the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus is alive, the Spirit of Jesus is given to us, to live in us, to move among us. What else has God given to us? The church, we have the gift of one another. I can't grow up in Christ without you, without this community, without this body. We have been given the gift of worship. We gather together every week. We need this time as a community to remember who God is, to remember who we belong to. We can't do that all by ourselves. We can't do that without worship. It's a part of the good gift God has given. We are given spiritual gifts. This is talked about a lot in the scripture that we're in, 1 Corinthians. Three chapters, Paul keeps talking about spiritual gifts. God has given to each one of us, just like members of a body, a human body, a way to build up the body. Some people have the gift of healing. Some people have the gift of mercy. Some people have the gift of teaching. And they'll talk about the gift of speaking in tongues a prayer language between you and God, or the interpretation of tongues. Someone can actually understand what someone else is saying and interpret it. Or the gift of prophecy, the ability to actually hear God's message and proclaim it anew in the present day. So God gives spiritual gifts. It's another good gift. The gift of the sacraments. The sacrament of baptism. The sacrament of communion the Lord's Supper, very tangible, visible ways of putting our hands on 
Jesus dying and rising again and giving us new life. Those are gifts given to us to grow up in Christ. And the gift of scripture. This gift that helps us know who Jesus Christ is, the story of God's love at work in the world. So I invite you to turn with me now and actually go ahead and pull it out of the pew rocks in front of you. I know we don't always do the Luddite thing, but let's turn to 1 Corinthians, this letter that we have been in all summer long, written by Paul to the church, brand new church in Corinth. We are in chapter 14. I'm going to read the first five verses and then the last verses, 26 through 40. And we're going to pray right now for the Holy Spirit to guide us and to reveal to us what God is saying to us. So let's stop and pray. God, we praise you for your good gifts and we ask for your Holy Spirit to fill these words, the words of Scripture, the words that I say, so that we can hear you speaking to us and grow up in every way into Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians 14, listen to God's word to you. This is right after the love chapter that was last Sunday. Paul writes, Pursue love and strive for the spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For those who speak in a tongue do not speak to other people but to God, for nobody understands them since they are speaking mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, those who prophesy speak to other people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Those who speak in a tongue build up themselves, but those who prophesy build up the church. Now, I would like all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. One who prophesies is greater than one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Going to verse 26. What should be done then, my friends? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or three, at most three, and each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let them be silent in church and speak to themselves and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to someone else sitting nearby, let the first person be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is a God not of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, women should be silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Anyone who claims to be a prophet or to have spiritual powers must acknowledge that what I am writing to you is a command of the Lord. Anyone who does not recognize this is not to be recognized. So, my friends, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently and in order. This is the gift of God's word.
Thanks be to God. God is faithful. And God gives us everything that is needed to grow up in Christ. And we named so many of those things. And it is true that these good gifts that God has given to help us grow up in Christ can be used in bad ways, right? The good gifts can be used in bad ways. Now, Paul knows this because it happened to him. From the very beginning of his life, he was 100% dedicated to God. His description of himself in Philippians, I was circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, a Hebrew born of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to righteousness under the law, blameless. There was nobody more devoted to God and to serving God, practically, than Paul. And yet, he used these good gifts that God gave him to work against what God was doing in Jesus Christ. He actually went after followers of Jesus Christ. And he assented to them being put in prison and even being put to death. And yet God saved him from that. Jesus met him, turned his life around. But Paul knew what could happen. Good gifts given to the people of God used in bad ways. It can happen even in the church. And throughout this letter to Corinth, Corinth the Corinthians, he is noticing again and again how they are using the good gifts in a bad way. Beginning in the very first chapter. The church itself, a gift to build us up in Christ, help us mature. They were actually using it in a bad way. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Chloe. I belong to Paul. They had little camps. Paul was practically yelling at them, is Christ divided? No, you are not using the gift of the church in the right way. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 11. The sacraments, gifts given to the church to reveal Jesus Christ to us. They were, in 1 Corinthians 11, at the Lord's table, the wealthy were eating and the poor were sitting there hungry. You are not using this gift in a good way. And then, the spiritual gifts, Paul is so upset about this that he has three chapters on this. They are so excited in Corinth that they have the gift of speaking in tongues. It is this ecstatic gift. Imagine how you've seen people leading worship and they look like they are transported. And so they had this sense that to be transported like that and to have this intimate experience, you and God, all just the two of you, was a sign of spiritual maturity. It was a sign of spiritual power. And also to have the gift of prophecy, these gifts of the tongue, the golden tongue, the great orators. They were filled with pride. Yes, they had good gifts, but they were not using them in a good way. It was divisive. It was chaotic. It was not building up the body of Christ. And that's what Paul says the purpose is, to build up that everybody can be encouraged, to communicate God's love. You can do all these amazing things, but if there's no love in what you're doing, it's worthless. You are using it in a bad way. So Paul's running out of patience here, you can kind of tell, maybe by the end of the letter. And he wants them to trust his authority. 
to yield to his authority. And you know, friends, this is not just a problem for Paul. It's not just a problem for the Christians in Corinth. We suffer from the same thing. I remember when I was in high school, and I had come to Christ, and I was, I was growing a lot. I was, I was in a Bible study with a lot of my friends, and there was a big debate at the time about speaking in tongues. And if you had this particular prayer language, that meant that you had received the Holy Spirit. And if you did not have that particular prayer language, then you hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. So, of course, I felt like a failure with God because I did not have the gift of speaking in tongues, and I felt like I was excluded from the fullness of the Holy Spirit in my life. That was not building up the church. And it certainly wasn't building me up. You know, people have experienced the church in a wounding way, haven't they? Many people are recovering from their upbringing in the church. Several months ago, I wrote to several members of my family who are gay and just communicated to them my own regret that I had not used the good gifts of the church to build them up, to communicate God's love to them. And one of my family members wrote back to me, and he said to me that, yes, it had been a wounding experience for him and that many in the LGBTQ community were scarred by their experience of the church. I think it's important to say that it's not easy to tell when we are using the good gifts of God in a not good way. It's not always easy to tell that, especially in the church. Because a lot of times we assume because it's happening in the church that it's good, period. When I first came here in the 1990s, there was a novel, a series of novels written by Susan Howitch. And they were based on the church of England in the 1930s to the 1960s. And it was following the lives of these very gifted leaders, spiritual directors and, and leaders and um, pastors in the Church of England. And the first book was called Glittering Images. The second book was called Glamorous Powers. And that kind of tells you a lot. The leaders in the church had these incredible charismatic gifts of being able to read things and people and what was going on and yet these gifts were so powerful that they began to be used in twisted ways and they deceived the people that had the gifts as well. I think Paul felt like the Corinthians had glamorous powers. They had very impressive gifts. If you've been around someone who's extremely charismatic, they can abuse that gift, right? And it can be abused in the church as well. I want us to focus a moment on the good gift of Scripture. And this good gift of Scripture can be used in good ways and it can be used in bad ways that do not build up, that do not communicate God's love. I want us to focus in on these 
two verses that are described as problematic. Maybe you found yourself going, what, when I read them to you. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 34 and 35, as in all the churches of the saints, Paul writes, women should be silent in the churches. If they have any questions, they should ask their husband at home. I find it shameful, he goes on, to let women speak in the church. There are a lot of reasons that this particular text is problematic. The first is that it goes against what Paul just said a few chapters earlier when he's talking about women and whether they had their head covered or not. Remember that chapter? They're praying and they're prophesying in church. Paul's not saying it's bad for them to pray or prophesy. He's just talking about head coverings. This passage is also not consistent with Paul's practice of including women in ministry throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament. Phoebe and Junia in Romans 16, he mentors them. Euodia and Syntyche in Philippians 4. Priscilla and Aquila, this couple, were teaching throughout all the churches. And it's problematic because when you look at the original manuscripts, these two verses are not always found in the same place in this chapter. So a lot are wondering, was this a gloss that was added as the scriptures were being formed over hundreds of years by interpreters of Paul? But it's here in scripture, isn't it? So what do we do with it? And it's very similar to a passage in 1 Timothy 2 that's also attributed to Paul. And this is what we find in these verses. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. When I was in my previous church, I was the associate pastor there, Solana Beach Presbyterian Church, for... 12 years, very large church, 2,000 members. And there was a transition going on after I'd been there a little over 10 years where the senior pastor left and they were hiring a new senior pastor and it was a woman, Roberta Hestinus. So there was this congregational meeting where they were discussing um, this radical thing that they were gonna hire a female head of staff. And I remember, you know, as I was passing around the microphone in the congregational meeting, one person quoted this scripture it said, women are not supposed to have authority over men. And I'm standing there thinking, hello, I have been in this church for 12 years, you know, leading men as well as women for 12 years. And so there was this tension right in front of our eyes. And what do we do with this tension? This isn't the only place we bump into the tension where there's different scriptures that say different things. If you look at Romans 13 and Revelation 13, they say very different things about how to relate to the state. If you look throughout scripture on the topic of slavery, you will find very different things. And this tension with what the Spirit of God is leading the church to do. Well, we don't throw these scriptures out, which is what we'd like to do, right? We don't throw scripture itself out. We use the good gift of scripture well to build up the body of Christ, to communicate God's love a la Jesus. And it's not based on our own personal opinion. It's not based on what the culture is telling us. I want to actually show you a list of guidelines put together by the Reformed Church years ago that help us discern 
how to use scripture well. And I think it's not only helpful for scripture, but also helpful for all the other good gifts God has given to us. And I'm going to go through them quickly. This is, and I have a hard copy out in the narthex if you're interested in taking a copy or I'll put it in the email blast. First rule, scripture is to be interpreted with confidence in and openness to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So we have this confidence that the Holy Spirit is guiding us as we are in scripture. Second principle, it's called the scripture principle. Scripture is to be interpreted in light of scripture, comparing scripture with scripture with openness to hear the whole word of God, not just selected parts of it. Very important with this verse. I do not allow women to speak in church. Yes, he does. You go to all the rest of the scriptures and the gifts that are given to women. So you have to interpret the scripture in light of the whole message of scripture. Number three, Christological principle. Scripture is to be interpreted in light of God's central self-revelation in Jesus Christ. This is the perfect revelation of what God has in mind for humanity. Who Jesus is, what he cared about, how he lived, and what mattered to him. Number four, the rule of love. Scripture is to be interpreted in light of the one commandment of God that summarizes all other commandments, love for God and for all our neighbors. Really important. That's why Paul tucked it right in the middle of these three chapters on the spiritual gifts. If you do everything else magnificently and you do not have love, you're doing it wrong. Number five, the rule of faith. Kind of goes with number one, the Holy Spirit. Scripture is to be interpreted with respect for the church's past and present interpretation of Scripture. The sense of God is guiding the church over time. Number six, Scripture is to be interpreted in light of the literary forms and historical context in which it was written, which we just did with this letter. And we could do more. There were things going on in Corinth. How did this letter get formed? What do we know about the flow of that chapter? What's being said? What's the whole point Paul's making in this letter? Number seven. Scripture is to be interpreted seeking the word and work of the living God in our time and place. What is God saying to us today? And number eight. Scripture is to be interpreted with awareness of our limitations and fallibility and with openness to change our mind and be corrected. Reformed means always being formed afresh by the Word of God. And our understanding of the Word of God and the gift of Scripture is that it points us to the perfect Word, who is Jesus. But we need this Word. It's a powerful Word to us. All the officers and leaders of this church, including myself, answered an ordination question, and this was the question, do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the church universal and God's word to you? Yes. Not every word inerrant. We don't take it literally, but we do see it as God's unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church and to us. It's a good gift. It's an important gift. And problematic texts don't derail us, but we learn how to use this good gift in a good way and to recognize when we don't. Many people have asked me, did you want to be a pastor when you were very young? Like, no. There were no women pastors when I was very young. Women weren't supposed to speak in church. That was my understanding. I grew up with that understanding of the passage. And it wasn't until I tiptoed into Fuller Seminary, not quite sure why I was there, 
and I took a class on women and men in ministry that finally these rules of interpretation opened up the word of God for me. Building up the body of Christ where I was included in that, where I could include others in that, and being an instrument of God's love. God is faithful and gives us everything we need to grow up in Christ, including helping us use the good gifts God has given in a good way. Let's pray. God, we need your spirit of discernment. We need to be delivered from the seductions all around us, to go with the sensational, to go with the drift and the lure of all that is around us. Help us to stay true, aligned with you, to be humbled, teachable, learning, aligning, transformed, so that we more and more may know you intimately and become like you. Amen.